0: Luke 1, through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is God's word. Amen.
1: Go ahead and keep your Bibles open. It's uh, page 856 in the in the church Bibles under the rack or in the front uh, there, and uh, Luke chapter 1. The Sunday after Thanksgiving is always an interesting Sunday to preach. It feels like a lot of us have eaten too much turkey and there's a kind of tryptophan effect you know it's like the turkey lull so just just so I'm aware that you're all here could you just like say something like you know hello and like yeah yeah okay that encourages me and we're going you know, if you're new to college church we're gonna get a whole lot more energetic as we go throughout the season but there's always this kind of post-Thanksgiving kind of like that was a good Thanksgiving and now it's Sunday you know We're in the series Songs of the Season, and uh, this is the second uh, of uh, that series, and um, we are looking at a series of songs in the Bible that teach about and point to the coming of the Christ. And uh, last week, we looked at Isaiah's song. Isaiah, we uh, found, was writing over 700 years before Jesus was born, and he writes uh, this, uh, this song about the child that will be born. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. And he, he, uh, God, by his spirit, through his prophet Isaiah, prophesies that this, this child will be called Mighty God. So, over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, there'll be a child who's going to be called God. And uh, so we looked at that amazing song of Isaiah's uh, last week. And as we looked at it, we, we saw that the, the message that he had for us of hope, In the midst of great crisis and calamity at the time, and it resonated with us because of the crisis and calamity that many of us feel, the Western civilization, the pressure that we're under today. In the midst of all that, there's hope for a remnant, a remnant who would trust in in God. And we saw how practical that is, practical for our finances. This time of the year, we often feel pressurized in terms of our finances, and a lot of people asking us to give to various things. And of course, there's the church that we just heard, we need to give to that, and and you know other opportunities, you know, like this is Christmas and it can get expensive, you know. <laughs> How are we going to pay for it all? And We can trust God for our finances. We can trust him for that. We looked at that. We, can- we also looked at it theologically, that actually the truth of God, uh, to understand and comprehend who God is, at its very heart requires a trust response. The ancients, ancient church fathers had a phrase for that, which was faith Seeking understanding to understand really anything about this world but especially theologically and you trust and you can trust God for the things that you do not understand based upon the things that you do understand as revealed by him in his word and then we saw how it is also practical at a personal level practical because when we trust God we receive his forgiveness and then we are enabled and indeed called to forgive um, those around us as well, and we looked at the story of Louis Zamperini in the, in the Second World War, how he was tortured, and yet when he became a Christian, because he'd received forgiveness, he was able to forgive. Well now we're in the second of these songs of the season, and it's Mary's song, and we're at the beginning of, of Luke's gospel. And Luke actually, in the introduction to his, his story here, has four songs, and we're going to look at each of them. Uh, Mary's song, then uh, not each of them this morning, but uh, each of them in a series. Mary's song, then Zachariah's uh, song, and then the angel's song, and then Simeon's song. Each of them here in the introduction to Luke's gospel. And he has a particular message that he's trying to communicate through each of them. Underneath his overall message. So Luke, in his story, he's writing actually two volumes. So Luke is the first of a two-volume work. And Luke tells us why he writes. He writes, he says, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. And he makes a careful investigation from the beginning. So Luke is saying that what he is writing is actually... Um, Not just a story, not just a wondrous story, but history, fact, based upon eyewitness account. He's carefully investigated it, so you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. But it isn't only sort of objective, dry history. It's also intended for a transformational purpose. So in the second volume to his his work, the book of Acts, as it's called to us, he tells us that in my first volume, I wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach. That's Luke's gospel. What he began to do and teach with the implication that then he's now writing about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach by his spirit, through his people, even today, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, that you, if you, as we saw in Isaiah, trust in God, you can be a part of an international movement of Jesus reaching out to the hurting, the broken. That's what he's doing today through communities like this, communities of Jesus. And that's Luke's overarching theme. And then each of these songs, his introduction, has a purpose behind it to elevate and lift up and point to that overarching theme. And Mary's song that we're looking at this morning, its big sort of idea, the big theme, the big thing that goes throughout it is this reversal, this this surprise that she has that she's blessed. You've got to remember that Mary was almost certainly, we don't know for sure how old she was when she, when she wrote this, when she spoke this, but she was almost certainly a young teenager. We're talking about a maybe a 15-year-old girl, may, maybe 14-year-old, maybe 13-year-old, a young 15-year-old girl. And she is the vehicle for this extraordinary Blessing. Just wonder that could it be me? And because of that, it elevates her to praise. So, what this, the purpose of this song for us then, is to elevate us to praise and joy and celebration, even on the Sunday right after Thanksgiving, (laughs) to lift us to that place. And how important that is, especially at this season. You know, we've got all the Christmas decorations up and the lights are up and that's all good. But every time of year, we also are aware of sadnesses at this time of the year. There are people that we love who are no longer here. And every time we see the Christmas trees and the Advent candles and everything, it reminds us they're no longer here. So there's a sadness to it. And then we're closer to our family. And sometimes there's friction between family members and there are difficulties that we face. and And we need to be elevated to worship and joy. And Mary's song is intended to do that to us. Well, let's see how. If you're taking notes, there are four elements to that. And the first is in verses 46 and 47. And here, Mary's describing the nature of real worship, the nature of real biblical joy in in God, the nature of real praise. So she says, verse 46, And Mary said... And now she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. Stop there. My soul magnifies the Lord. So, this joy, this praise, this worship is something that is moving to the very deepest part of who you are. It's the immortal soul in Christian doctrine. It's the very nature of who you are as a person. It's what makes you, you. That is lifted. And you say, well, that's, that's fine. But, you know, actually the whole idea of the incarnation to me just seems extraordinary, impossible, incredible. No one, no one anymore can believe that, that God became a baby. I mean, it's ridiculous. But you see, that... It's predicated, it's assuming that the God of the Bible is not the God of the Bible. Which of course gets you into a bit of a vicious circle. It's the trap that David Hume, the great Scottish philosopher and atheist fell into when he said that basically there was no amount of evidence that could ever convince him that a miracle took place. Well that's a problem isn't it? Because how then would you ever know that there was a miracle that took place? But that was predicated on and assuming that the God of the Bible was not the God of the Bible, that God was not the kind of God who can do the impossible. How about this Christmas, this season? You open yourself up to the possibility that he is, that he could have, and then explore it. The soul, you see, is not just the feelings. It's the, it's the whole of what makes you you, your thinking and your feeling. And your feelings also then move as you enter into who, who this Jesus is in worship this season. Her soul, her soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. So it's all centered on God. That's why as a church here, we're careful with the songs we pick and the the way we construct our worship services because we want everything to be about him. You know, worship isn't like my feelings. You know, I I feel this and I feel this and I'd like this and my preference is this and I want this. We make it like that. That's not worship. That's just what I want. Worship is about him. My soul magnifies the Lord, God. God. It's all centered on him and who he is. And then when you have that, then your soul is lifted. Because now it's about someone so much bigger than merely you and me. It's about who God is. The very creator of the whole universe. And you can encounter him in worship. And meet him. And know him. My soul magnifies the Lord, she says. So it's it's. It's, it's about her very soul. It's, it's centered on God. And then she says, these are three elements of the nature of real worship in the, in the first part of this, uh, the first kind of point of the sermon. Then she says, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. See, the nature of real biblical worship is that it focuses on salvation. It's not about I'm feeling better this week, or my, my body, my physical body is healthy, you know, thank, thanks be to God, and, and uh, you know, I, I went to the hospital and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, and so thanks be to God, or I, um, I, I've got enough money this week, so thanks be to God. Those are all good reasons to thank God, for sure. But the real focus of biblical worship is on salvation. Salvation for all eternity. And salvation in Luke's gospel has this theme of exodus. When, when Jesus appears at the transfiguration, it says there that he, he talked about his departure or literally his exodus. So exodus, release from slavery in Egypt, is now the exodus, the release from slavery that Jesus brings. That's salvation. You're now freed from your sins. You're freed from your bondage. You now can break that habit. And that's all on offer. At Christmas, but of course, then it elevates us. It lifts us. It's like, "Wow, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He saved me. It's, re- it's Exodus. It's rescue. That's that's what real worship's like. My sp- soul rejo- my magnifies. My spirit rejoices. That's worship. That's what it should feel like. That's what it should be like." That's the nature of worship, according to Mary. And you say, well, how do I get there? Well, then, so that was the first element of this description here of how we enter into the joy of real worship and just, first of all, the nature of worship. And then she has three ways that we get there, three reasons to be in this place of real, joyful worship. And uh, the first, then, is in verses 48-49, and it's a personal reason. Look how Mary describes it. She says... For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Who's that? Mary. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Who's me? Mary. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Mary. And holy is his name. Mary here is emphasizing the personal nature of Christian faith. That that God has done something for her, for Mary. You know, the church always reflects the sort of predominant... uh, preponderance of ideas of the culture around at any particular time and location. And in our time and location, there's a predominant preponderance of ideas that are related to well, the machine, the industry, the factories, the system. Well, recently of course the computer, the iPhone, the machine. Computation, systems, organization, structure. And in that, we as a church in general tend then to think about programs and systems and organizations. We think instinctively in a sort of computer kind of way. A network, an organization, a program. But Mary is saying... At the heart of the nature of biblical worship, a motivation for the nature of biblical worship, is that it is personal. It's about a 15-year-old girl. It's about you. Could be. It's about you. It's about you. Could be. E.M. Bounds uh, wrote a classic book called... um, power through prayer. And the beginning of this uh, classic book, he describes how the church tends to think in terms of the organization and the system. He says it strives and stresses over more efficient plans to get the gospel out. Efficient its a machine-like idea. But according to E.M. Bounds, God's method, and of course there's a place for organization, systems, all the rest, and he acknowledges that. Of course there is. But according to E.M. Bounds, God's method is always the man, or here the woman, the teenager, the 15-year-old girl. What that means is we as a church must never, you, you must never feel like you're lost in the shuffle. Like it's a big church, I don't fit here. Oh, no, God, God knows you. He, he knew Mary. He knows you. Your holiness, your faithfulness, your Christ-likeness, that's the whole game. That's the whole thing. God's method is always the person. It's you. And of course what that means is we must act like that. You know, if you want to change the world, you know how you're going to do it? Find one person. Mothers, look after your children. Businessmen, find one person to mentor. Not to be a better businessman, though that's fine, but to be a better Christian. Find one person. And invest in them. God's method is always the person. He's looked on the humble state of his servant. He's called me, bless things for me. That's a great reason for praise. She gives another one, the second of these three reasons that support the nature of real worship. And this is in verses 50 to 53. And here, what she's emphasizing here is a theme throughout Luke's gospel and a theme throughout this, this song, which is the up... Well, let me, let me show you. Look, here it is. Look. Verse 50. And his mercy is for, for who? Who does God have mercy on? It's for those who fear him. What is... Okay. Okay. And from generation to generation, he has shown strength of his arm. He scattered who? He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. All this is about the upside-down kingdom. It's upside-down. It's contrary to what we'd expect. It's upside-down. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exhorted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich, he is sent empty away. It's upside down kingdom. And that is such a reason for praise. There are so many people on the face of this planet for whom this is fantastic good news. You mean me and my poverty? You mean me and my humiliation? God has a heart for me? Yeah, not only is he a heart for you, he's focused upon you. And when we read this, we're aware that immediately it contradicts and counteracts a strong teaching present in the American church today. I mean, if you're a prosperity gospel preacher, if you're preaching that God blesses the rich and that if you're just faithful, you're going to be healthy and wealthy, what do you do with this? It contradicts it. But by the same token, we mustn't over-materialize it just like we mustn't over-spiritualize it. We're not Marxists as Christians. We don't believe that everything is just about matter. It's not about the amount of stuff you have. It's about the heart and what you do with the stuff you have. I've met rich people who are very humble And I've met poor people who are filled with pride and bitterness. And vice versa, of course. What counts is not where someone puts you on the hierarchy of stuff that you have. What counts is how God looks at you. Which is why Mary begins this section here, this upside-down kingdom section, where he says his mercy is for those who fear him. That's the difference. You know, um, a good illustration of this, I think, is um, from another song that was written uh, recently. Oh, not that recently. I mean the last, like, 30 years. That's recent for college church, but... Uh and uh, it's a well-known hymn. It's called In Christ Alone. And in that hymn, we sing it often here. We, we sing, actually, by the way, we do sing more modern stuff than that. In fact, our pastor, Eric Dewar, writes songs all the time. So it's just we're seeing some amazing modern hymns. But this is a reasonably recent uh, modern hymn called In Christ Alone. It has a phrase in it in, in, where it talks about how God's wrath is satisfied at the cross. And that phrase, when in Christ alone, there was an organization that wanted to use that hymn, use that song in its in its hymn book, in its organization. And they came to the authors of that song and said, We'd like to use that hymn on one condition. What's the condition? The one condition is that you remove that phrase, his wrath is satisfied. And they said, No, we're not going to do that, because the Bible talks about that, that God's wrath is satisfied at the cross, that God to translate God's wrath is satisfied at the cross. Now that's fearing God. Doesn't matter what they say, I can do what God says. And if you are rich, as you know, not by Bill Gates' standard, but by, you know, someone in a village in Africa's standard, we're all rich. All of us. Then what you do with the wealth that God has given you is you become a channel, a channel of blessing to other people. That's the only safe way to be rich. It's an upside-down kingdom. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both wealth and success and fame and him. You must make your choice. It's an upside-down kingdom. You must use what you have for his glory, the talents that he has given you. So we're looking at uh, what it is, that this worship, and how we can have this joyful worship this season. And we looked at the nature of worship and how Mary describes that. We looked at how the reason for it is personal. It's like Mary, it's us, it's you. And we looked at it in terms of it's an upside-down kingdom. And then finally this morning, uh, there's the final part that Mary describes here, which is the fulfillment. And this is verses 54 and 55. She says this, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now that phrase, mercy, here is the second time it's occurred in the passage. And almost certainly it refers back to the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament there's a word called chesed in Hebrew, which means covenant faithfulness. It means that God has made a promise and he's going to be faithful to it. It's his loving faithfulness, chesed. And often it's translated by this same word here, mercy, So almost certainly what Mary is referring to here is the covenant faithfulness of God. That he's made promises and he's kept them. So he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers. You see, the promise he made to our fathers. To Abraham and to his offspring, that is to his seed forever. What Mary is saying, isn't it amazing? This is a 15 year old girl. She's writing and saying this. She's a teenager. Look, older people, don't look down on the teenagers. You know, one of them around us could be a Mary, as it were. Committed to Christ and to his gospel. Faithful. She's writing this stuff and she writes it. She's looking back through the whole. She's she's writing with insight beyond the, the bounds of most theological PhD students and and. Uh, 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 She's extraordinary insight that God's giving her. She's describing the whole story of God's salvation plan. Really, back to the Garden of Eden, where, where God promised that, it, that through Eve, there would become an offspring who would crush the serpent's head, that is, defeat the, uh, Satan. And Eve, in Genesis chapter 4, thinks to herself, well, the first child she's had, she, she's like, it, could it be this one? I've got a man. Could it be this child? And of course, it was not. And then you get Abraham and Sarah and the promised child that comes to Sarah, her advanced age, and she laughs that God could do that to her. And then they call it Isaac because they're laughing with joy. It's like, yeah, he really, he, he did do it. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, he did. But he's, Isaac, certainly not the promised child. And then and then you get to Hannah in uh, 1 Samuel where she's, she's barren, but God gives her a child and she writes a, a song which... Mary's song reflects in all sorts of fascinating ways to, as a fulfillment of what God's doing, and it's like uh, now, now we're going to give. A, and it's, it's 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 Samuel is the, is the great prophet, and then there's David who's coming. Is is David the one? And is it Solomon, his child? Is is he the anointed one? Well, it's not David. It's not it's not Solomon. And and it, it, who is this anointed one? Who is this Messiah is going to come? And Mary's saying, "It's all happening now. I've got this, baby." That's amazing. Wow. 15-year-old girl. And what she's saying is that if God has been faithful to his promises all these hundreds of years for the Messiah to come, surely he'll be faithful to come again. Surely you can trust him with whatever you're going through in your family. You can put your hope in him. Surely he'll be faithful to his promises. And with all that, you, you begin to be elevated to joyful worship. There was another Mary. I'm going to close with this. There was another Mary, um, 1800, Wales. Her name was Mary Jones. Mary Jones came from a very poor village family, poor, uh, small village in, in Wales. Um, called by a name that it, with my English um, accent I can't even pronounce. Um, it has two L's at the beginning of it, and I just get lost in that moment. But it's a small village in Wales. Mary was um, committed to God, Mary Jones. But she didn't have a Bible, not in Welsh. She heard that there was a Bible in a town nearby called Balla. And uh, there was a minister there called Thomas uh, Chalmers, a minister who'd been trained actually by John Newton, famous for the uh, the Amazing Grace hymn from Olney in England. Thomas Chalmers was in this uh, was the minister of this town, Ballan, was well known. And she heard that he had Welsh a Welsh Bible. It was twenty six miles away. Mary was from a poor family, obviously they didn't have cars. This is eighteen hundred, but she didn't have a horse or. A, uh, anything to a cart or anything like that, she'd have to walk. It's twenty-six miles. But she wanted a Bible, and so she walked. She was poor; she had no shoes. She walked barefoot. Twenty-six miles, just so she could get a Bible. That's hunger for God. He has filled the hungry with good things. In Cottage Church, if we're to have the blessing of God upon us, we need to have that hunger for him. As Mary shows us in her song, and then be elevated to joyful worship. Oh, our Lord God, we do pray that be true uh, for each one of us here and for us as a church. We pray, Lord, that we would uh, be those who have uh, the nature of real uh, worship, that our soul, our very being, who we are, would magnify you, would lift you up, center upon you because of what you've done um, through saving us. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would um, give us that, Joyful worship here this morning and throughout this season. Because, Lord, you care about us, our humble estate, our pains, our burdens, our difficulties. It's personal, Lord. Because you have an upside down kingdom. And because, Lord, your promises, you are faithful to them. They are fulfilled. And we know that the promise of your return will be fulfilled too. And so, Lord, we ask, would we magnify
0: the Lord? In the name of Jesus, amen.